Hi, my name's Ian Wallace, a messed up counsellor. What I want to go through today is some aspects um, that I find is probably the main problem I'm working with with relationships initially. There are other problems with relationships, but the main one usually when it comes through is a lack of understanding, a, a, a way that the communication has broken down between the people concerned, uh, whether that's adults, as a couple, as a, as a partnership, uh, or as children, it makes no difference really. Communication is the, the first aspect of what we need to do in the work. We need to get people to understand people. So we become kind of like an interpreter, a mediator sometimes, um, depending on whether or not there's conflict in the room. And usually when we've got two people engaging with the therapy, there's conflict, because that's the reason they're there usually. So communication is, is kind of like the benchmark of what we do as human beings. We need to be able to communicate and not just talk, but we need to talk in a way that the other person understands. So if we're speaking French, for example, and we only know French, and then we're trying to converse with somebody who speaks Italian, pretty much it's going to be a problem. So we are, we have to have um, a way that we both can interact and both communicate. So I need to learn some Italian or they need to learn some French or we need to understand each other's body language. Now communication, a verbal process, um, is only part of communication. Um, it's a small part really, to be fair. And most of our communication is by body language, by facial features. So we use the facial features, body language, to kind of support whatever it is we're uh, receiving in a verbal communication process. The problem for some people is that they, they can't understand the body language or they can't understand the words. And so there's a breakdown in communication. And when that breakdown in communication occurs, we try to fill in the gaps. Um, that never works, really, um, because we usually fill in the gaps with things that we think are okay, but they aren't in the dialogue. So I don't know if you've ever kind of played the game as kids, or even as adults, uh, Chinese whispers, where one person will say something and then say to the next person that statement and then they'll say it to another person, they say it to another person. And the further down the line that goes, the more changed that communication or piece of communication is. That's a verbal communication. And the problem is if you get the first person that started that chain off to say what they said, the last person in that chain, pretty much it won't be anything like it because it's gone through a process and we've filtered that communication through our own understanding. So person one, two, three, four, five, how many, will have filtered that piece of communication and we're using our own understanding to fill in the gaps that we have, which is why it kind of like changes as it goes down that path, that avenue of interactive process. And you'll get that with anything really.
Um, you know, you tell your best mate something and then your best mate says to their best mate and their best mate and their best mate. And by the time you get down to the bottom of it, it's nothing like what you said because they've filled in their gaps or they've created more dialogue to understand it. So communication, generally speaking, is the first piece of work we do when we're trying to resolve differences, opinions, conflict. So when we're doing that, we have to find out how each person communicates. So in the French-Italian kind of scenario, I need to know both languages. So that's the skill of the counsellor, understanding both languages and bringing those two languages together in a way that people understand it. So when we're working with that process of communication, we first have to understand how that person best sees, thinks, hears things. We have our own way of interpreting our world. Everybody is different. But there are some similarities. So some people are visual language people. They, they see things through pictures, through references of, of interactive process, diagrams. Some people take language in through their ears. Some people think, insert the information into the head and ruminate on it to try and kind of understand it. So we take information and language in differently. And so we, as a teacher, learn that process. We learn that people take things in differently and it's best to give information in the way that they best take it in. So if you're visual, then there's no good really talking to somebody without having some visual application, which is why we use PowerPoint and all these kind of things to give visual input because then you take it in two ways. You take it in from a hearing point of view and a seeing point of view. Now, people will give an indication of how they best take their language in by the words they use. So as a counsellor, we're trained to take that information in and, and make sense of it. So if somebody's talking to me one-on-one -on -one and we're having a conversation, general conversation, about nothing necessarily in difficulty or anything then the words they use will give me clues uh, to indicate how best to reply to them so if somebody's saying to me language like uh, you know do you see i see that you're doing this and they use that word see that's a big clue that they're a visual language person so i now know that about the person i'm interacting with so yes, I'll still talk to them, I'll still give them verbal dialogue, but I'll supplement it with diagrams or I'll enact visual kind of processes. You know, well, if there was a man walking down the street and there was a red car, I'd use that kind of exploration language to paint pictures because that's the way that person is going to best take that information in. So these are the clues that we get when we're working with people on interacting with people. Now, if somebody was saying, did you hear me? Then the more taking language in through a, a kind of a listening process. So those kind of give us clues about each individual person that we're working with, if we're working with families or couples. 
And what we need to do is say, okay, then this is the way that person's going to best. Now, we need to check that out. We don't just take an assumption that that is correct, quite naturally. So we test it. And we test it by our language to that person and see whether or not they were able to reflect on that or, or feed that back to us in some way so that we know they've got it. Now, we don't do that as a kind of, can you tell me what you've just heard? <laughs> that would be slightly silly. So we kind of use our normal language, our normal interactive processes to find those things out. Once we know the best way somebody takes information in, then that's the way that we're going to use. But we're also going to give the other person in the counselling process, their partner or their family member or friend or whoever it is, a colleague, you know, manager and, and, and staff, whatever we're working with, we're going to give them an understanding how that's going to happen as well. So we're trying to get the interpreter to understand each other's pieces of language so that the people can then talk and share. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of inter interrupt some language maybe and say, well, did you, did you get that? Was that okay? Did you understand what was being said? And then that person will repeat or give some reflection of what they've heard. And then we can tweak it and we can say to the other person, well, actually, you know, that that I heard what you said, but obviously it's not up to me to know what you're saying. It's this other person you're trying to interact with that needs to know that. So if you engage with that kind of language, that's going to get more of an impact, more effect, more connection. And then they will feel safer, more comfortable. So when we're looking at communication, we're looking at lots and lots of things that all of us do pretty automatically. You know, without even realising, without deconstructing it like I'm doing. We kind of do that. Now, if our world's okay and we're feeling safe, secure, connected, pretty much we'll probably fill in the blanks that we have with something similar. If we're feeling upset with the person or disconnected from the person, the language that we're going to fill in is going to come biased with that being upset. Which is why people take very small pieces of language and make that the whole thing. So you might just say to somebody, for example, you know, well, that piece of work you did wasn't necessarily up to scratch. And then you might say to them, but this piece of work was really, really good and you did really well there and blah, 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 blah. The person might only hear that first bit. They might not hear the, all the rest of the kind of positive stuff you're saying because that first bit has been a negative in their world and then we're thinking about the negative our brain is not listening to what you're next saying so it might be that that negative piece that first came up is the piece we hold on to and then the communication doesn't work because nobody's listening to the next bit it's not taking on board that positive processes of really really good so we'll disengage from that piece of communication probably feeling upset and targeted and, and in a bad place now the person that's talking to us might not realize that so we need to be aware that language isn't always what we say is what they get we need to have some aspect of reflection some aspect of interactive process that says yeah i get it i understand where you're at I understand what's going on.
that takes an awful long time sometimes so it can go wrong pretty quickly and to get it right can take a long time as I've said if we're working with communication and we're doing the interpreter bit in the room there's no point in just us being the interpreter we have to learn each other and the way forward with that language we have to learn each person to understand the other person and to be able to get more of that language get an understanding now when people are in the room with me and maybe a couple or two family members or friends two people sometimes what people do is their body language their facial features are not congruent not in tune with the words that's been spoken and that's maybe because of nervousness so you'll get people who really are saying fairly tragic things but they may smile or laugh I don't know if you've ever had that and that's disrespectful for the tragic thing those two things do not go together you're telling me you're painful here something painful and yet your, your facial features is giving me an understanding that it's funny well it isn't funny I don't get that and so that process means that the person who is laughing inappropriately for example then they're nervous about actually how that will be received or previously they've had situations where that information has been given and it hasn't been respected or valued so they don't know where they are so they kind of hedge their bets in a sense they use that facial features to offset their nervousness and humor and, and facial features of that kind um, is not uncommon to be fair but the other person doesn't get it well you're telling this is wrong but you you kind of showing me that actually it's okay so I don't know where I am I don't know what's going on I don't know how I'm gonna to react to that so they tend to get very confused and then they fill in the blanks and they think well okay it's obviously not as awkward painful hard as I thought it was because they're laughing so I won't take it and respect it or value it because they're telling me I don't need to so that process of communication with their facial features is not in tandem with the communication they're giving but that's not because they don't feel that whatever they're saying talking about is is distressing it's just that they feel nervous but because of the interaction within communication each person doesn't understand the other one so sometimes our work is about deconstructing that is about kind of taking it micro looking at it and say well okay do you realize what was going on with the person that was smiling and giving that distressing information do you realize what you're doing there because it doesn't look like facially that it's a worry or a concern or, or it's, it's distressing now a lot of the time that person will not understand that they won't see that that's going on because we can't see our own faces unless we're in a mirror obviously um, so we we kind of like can educate we can give them an understanding that that's happening we can give the other person understanding that that might be because of nervousness and anxiety 
or a feeling of being judged. So each person can find a, a different language that they can both converse with. And that will make helping them understand each other a lot better. We use items to explore our feelings and emotions. I may sound a bit peculiar, but it isn't. It's what human beings do. So if we're upset with something, we'll concentrate on an item. A pen, sock on the floor, jug on the draining board, whatever. Um, we'll start venting our anger out on that particular item. The person we're trying to engage with won't understand that. They'll just say, well, you, you, you're telling me off about a sock on the floor. The problem with that process is that we need to look at why that is happening, which I've said in a previous podcast, the what and why process. If we engage with um, trying to understand what's behind things, what's behind the laughing face, what's behind the cup, what's behind the sock, then we're more likely to be able to understand it. So when we use communication, we sometimes confuse people with our communication because we're keeping ourselves safe sometimes, emotionally, mentally. Um, and we don't know we're necessarily doing this. It's a subconscious process. Most words are given before we even realise we've done it, to be fair. So we need to have that element of communication, that element of connection, um, that both people get to understand each other, both people can recreate a new language um, that actually makes more sense, connects better, is understood better. When we're doing that with people that we have no emotional connection to, um, then pretty much it doesn't really matter. It's different communication process but it's not going to have feelings and emotions engaged with it because it doesn't really matter so sometimes that goes better that we can fill in the blanks easier as I've said but when there's an emotional connection between the two parties uh, or there's some kind of emotional interpretation going on for whatever reason that becomes a lot harder to do that insecurity in ourselves, how we're feeling, the anger we've got inside of us will come out in the language that we're using. And that can distance people, and that can detach people. So our work as counsellors is to try and mediate, try and be the interpreter of language of communication. When we're doing that, when the people are expressing that, it's okay to deconstruct that in the room because that's what we do. But we need to try and take that outside of the room into their other worlds, their other lives, because if they're only doing it in the room for an hour, a week, or every two weeks, or a month, or whatever it is, it's going to take an awful long time to do that. So we try and give them tools, we try and give them opportunities to do that outside of the room. And one that I use is asking, not telling. So when people are in arguments, for example, and they're in disagreement and there's conflict, we use emotional processes in that, obviously. And our emotional interaction with our communication will become a lot more defensive. So we tend to use arguments 
as a way of externalizing our feelings and emotions. Now, that might not be we've got an argument with the person that we're engaging with. That might be somebody else completely that's happened to us during the day, you know, and it's it's just sitting in us, waiting to come out. Um, so there's like the song, you always hurt the one you love, the one you shouldn't hurt at all. And that's kind of true in a sense, because the one that's closest to us should be able to take it. It's not true, but that's how we work our worlds. So asking instead of telling. If we're going into an argument, an argument will always not produce communication. An argument is not a communication structure for anybody. Because if we're arguing, we're being defensive. If we're being defensive, then we're not listening. We're waiting for a gap in the conversation, communication, to kind of launch our interpretation into that with our feelings and emotions. So when we're telling people things, you're this, you're that, you're the other, that's the argument because it's blame. You're the problem. You're doing this, that or the other. In that process of telling, there's only one or two things a person can do if they're being told. They can either come back with, oh no, I'm not you are, hence argument, or if they don't like conflict, they'll kind of try and detach from the process, so they'll walk away. But the other person will probably chase to try and resolve it. So in this process of telling, that will always create conflict because it, in a sense, puts somebody into a communication corner. I can't do anything, I can't say anything because you're telling me what I am, who I am, how I feel, how I think, what I should do. Whatever it is, you're telling me. So I don't have a choice or opinion. I can't come in with some kind of engaging conversation. So that is a process that's not helpful. Unless it's health and safety. Obviously then we need to be told as quick as possible we need to do something about it. But other than health and safety, it doesn't work. It's usually because we're feeling that we need to be defensive. We're feeling we're being attacked, usually. So if we change that process of communication and we ask instead of tell, it automatically changes the actual conversation. Now, an example of that is if you were upset with somebody already and you had kind of disagreements going on and they came to you first thing in the morning, you woke up, and they're saying, you're having a cup of tea. Even if you wanted one, you'd probably say no, because they're telling me I'm having a cup of tea. That's not going to work. If it does work, there still will be resentment underneath, which will at some point come out. So if we turn around and we say, would you like a cup of tea? Do you want a cup of tea? Asking then they have opportunities, they have possibilities of interaction. They say, well, no, I could have a cup of coffee, yes, can I go upstairs, downstairs, can I go with toast? There's a whole range of communication processes that can happen from that. If you're telling somebody they're having a cup of tea, there's only one of two. They'll ignore you, detach, or they'll come back with, why are you telling me what to do? So we need to engage with a communication structure that asks and doesn't tell ask is always a question telling is always a statement so if you can think in your head if you're telling you've got a pointy finger 
pointy finger telling if you're asking you've got an open arm you're inviting so telling closes asking opens and if you can bear that in mind with your language and your structures of your language then you won't have arguments it's never impossible to have an argument with somebody that's asking because they're giving you an opportunity they're respecting valuing you they're giving you a process that you can engage with um, but if they're telling then that usually will always create conflict I say unless it's health and safety yeah if somebody's gonna walk in front of a bus you're gonna say don't do that get off that road <laughs> obviously but if it's not that it's a normal kind of process not health and safety then if we ask instead of tell you'll find you can resolve things yeah we can have very passionate conversations about things that we believe we like we don't like so it's not always going to result in an argument just having a difference of opinion we can all have differences of opinion that's what the world does in order to develop but if we tell somebody that their opinion doesn't matter and they have to accept our opinion it's not going to work generally speaking so creating harmony is about communication creating knowledge awareness understanding is about communication people if they don't know something they tend to be more fearful of it which is why prejudices are where they are because we don't usually understand we don't know we, we've not had conversations as soon as we have conversations we can see their point of view and where they are prejudice tend to kind of be less of a problem so we need to have that conversation communication to actually understand it's an education process is communication to understand how the other person feels things ideas concerns worries fears we can then help them we can then support them if we don't understand them then we can't and you'll get that with people connecting whereby one person is not necessarily good about sharing their emotions their worries their concerns their fears it's not unusual mostly guys to be fair because we're told that we shouldn't do that that's a bad thing to do we shouldn't show people our weaknesses or our worries or our concerns we should fix it big boys don't cry in my day and all that kind of stuff so when we're engaging with people if we're trying to understand them then we have to share ours the problem is if one person doesn't say how they're feeling where they are and the other person is asking how they're feeling where they are the person that's asking if they don't get input then they're automatically going to think they're the problem if we give input we help to give them an understanding of how they can support us if we don't give input then they will then take it upon themselves to try to work out what's going on first thing we always do as human beings if we don't understand we say we must be the problem generally speaking so in that process of having input both people understanding each other we don't have to try and make it up we don't have to try and fill in the gaps we know where we are we can offer that support you know 
So if we tell people that we're hurting in some way, shape or form, and we don't understand or we need help in some way, shape or form, we offer them the opportunity to do so. We offer them the opportunity to help us, support us, understand us. More likely it's going to engage, more likely it's going to connect, more likely it's going to make both people feel more comfortable. So if you don't like talking, which a lot of people don't, if you don't like sharing your vulnerabilities, which a lot of people don't, it's not necessarily going to help. You need to share those things in order to allow the other person to see if they can support you. If they love you, if they care about you, generally speaking, they're going to come and do that for you. But they can't do that unless you tell them. And if you don't tell them, they're going to assume they're the problem, which will disconnect the process. And it might make them even more mad, upset, argumentative. So if you're a person that doesn't talk, doesn't share, because you've been told it's wrong to do so, um, change it, alter it, start talking, start sharing. And if people love you, care about you, want to be there for you, they'll listen, they'll try and support you. And as long as you own it, you know, this is me, this is where I am, this is how I feel, how I think, whatever that might be, then they're going to be on side with you. If you say, this is how I feel because of what you do, that won't work. Because that's telling. That's blaming. And you're going to go into a conflict. So the words we use, it's kind of not what we say really, it's how we say what we say that makes the difference. And so we need to be mindful of how we're impacting on other people. And that communication then works well. So talking to people, sharing, good idea. As long as you trust the people, as long as that person will be there for you. Yeah, they won't use it against you. And allowing that person to understand you more will make it easier for them to connect. They'll be closer, they'll be more supportive. They'll be able to make those kind of choices and decisions to help you process, help you be there in the future. So communication, very hard, not easy. Golden rules, always ask, don't tell. And always find out why people are reacting the way they are. See what's going on behind it. See what's working with it. And if you can't understand it, don't worry. Go and see somebody like me. Somebody who understands those processes can help you become that sharing, caring, connected world. But don't automatically assume it can't change, because it can. Everything can change. We just have to have an awareness, understanding, knowledge of why it is as it is. And then we can adapt, we can change it, we can move forward. Communication is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It has to be a two-way street. If you're communicating in a one-way street, you're telling. You are not communicating. Sorry. It just ain't working. People might be sat there, might be listening to you, but they're not taking it in. They've switched off. And their facial features will show that. They'll be blank. They won't be engaging. They're probably in another place, thinking about their work, their life, their hobbies, whatever it is. So those are the golden rules of communication. It has to be a two-way street. 
each person needs to be able to hear, understand and speak the same language. And if they aren't, then it won't work. Hopefully that's made sense. I'm Ian Wallace. I'm the Messed Up Counsellor. Take care.